Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, Central London Saturday night of lovely comedy, and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard, and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC, James Ross, and this is Quantum Leopard. We have wonderful Bethany Black. Uh, this set was recorded on the 12th of March 2022 by Matt Hyten at 2 Northdown, and the interview took place on the 13th of September 2022. Um, I had a really great time um, talking to Beth. Uh, just, she's just absolutely fascinating on so many things um, and just really, really great and like almost too on brand for us as a, as a headliner. But there we go. Uh, cool. Uh, content warnings are here for experience of neurodivergence, mental health, drugs addiction, and experience of uh, hypophobia, sexism, transphobia, etc. I uh, hope you enjoy. Oh. <laughs> oh thank you very much this was a it was a present from my mother-in-law this is lovely this is ah this is wonderful sorry i uh i'm a bit fucked uh, Yes, I like to the point that I have to like try and judge exactly how much of a build-up the MC is going to give me, because <laughs> it takes me so long to get upstairs and to get across that it's like oh, fuck. and a lot of the time I'm really bad at judging that because because I'm autistic, so I'm really shitty at picking up social cues a lot of the time. That's <laughs> why why it's great being a comedian because people go oh, how can you be autistic and a comedian and how can you not is the <laughs> It's more the actual question. What, do you know what my job involves? I get up on stage every night and say the same things over and over to get a reaction. <laughs> I don't have to look anyone in the eye while I'm doing it. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, like, honestly, like, it's the best, it's the best thing. And the best thing about that is if anyone tries and talks back to me, I can get them thrown out. It's, um... <laughs> Honestly, could not be any better. But on top of that, also, I've realised I've got that long COVID because uh, I know that I've got really unhealthy over the last couple of, well, thirty years. Uh, but <laughs> but I should not be this out of breath walking from there. Like, that's that's the stage that I've reached with this now. And it's uh, so yeah. So it takes me a little while to get up, and it's nice to be here, which is normally one of those lies that comedians tell. Um, <laughs> It's because we come everywhere. We go everywhere. We go, oh, it's, oh, it's lovely to be here, and and we we rarely fucking mean it. Um, <laughs> genuinely, the other one we say quite a lot is we go, oh, you're a lovely audience, and we almost never mean that. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> We're just looking at you. Go, oh, you're a lovely audience, because if we say that enough, it goes and sets off a response, and that you'll go, yes, we are a lovely audience, and we and we very much like this comedian. This is fantastic. This is going to be good. Yeah, and I tell you all of this at the top because I respect you all too much to lie. That's what it is. Because you're a lovely audience. And honestly, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, um... The reason... 
the reason why that little, that, that little bit is normally alive for me is like because I, I even before everything i i've been i've been seeing a therapist recently which is fantastic because it turns out i am fucking broken and <laughs> so as a result of that it's really good value for money which is my, the main thing i'm looking for really and <laughs> It's been great because I go and I talk to her every week and I forget that it's a therapy session, uh, usually about the halfway point, and I go, oh shit, sorry, I've been talking about me. How's your week been? <laughs> every time, right? And uh, <laughs> it's easily done. And it's during one of our sessions that she went, uh, oh, can I just stop you there? And that's fucking red flag, right? <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm assuming, uh, possibly, that some of you will have been to therapy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I might be autistic, but I can tell that much, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anyway, right, so, I... Uh, <laughs> but during one of our little... Because, like, normally when they go, can I just stop you there, right? That's fucking awful, because you're like, oh, shit, you're about to tell me something about myself I've really tried to hide from you. <laughs> And I'm just hoping it's not going to be like one of those times when I tell a story from my childhood that I think's funny. <laughs> and I present it as a bit of a joke. And she doesn't, she doesn't laugh. She just starts writing it down. <laughs> like the, what the fuck is it? Like, no, 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 that's a funny story. No, no, it's not. Oh, shit, my life. Oh, my God, I've had a terrible life. Fuck. <laughs> Christ, that's, a, that, that's the last thing I needed to hear at this point. No, it wasn't any of that, though, because we were in the middle of this chat. She went, can I just stop you there? And I said, yeah. And she said, just out of interest, like, how long have you had agoraphobia? And I went, I'm not scared of spiders. Because, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, if you make a joke out of it, then you can't be serious. And they can't figure out what's wrong with you. And uh, in, in, in spite of me spending the money, I also don't want to actually be truthful as much as I need to be. Um, and she went, that's not what it is. I went, oh, yeah, no, of course, agoraphobia. And I was like, at, at that point, I was like, oh, I can't remember which one that is. I'm like, which, which one is that one? And I was like, yeah, of course, who isn't scared of agro? <laughs> well, that's not a phobia. That's just sensible, isn't it? You're like, who's going out into bars going, hey, fucking come on, stab me? Like, no one. That's... <laughs> Like, if anything, that's agrophilia, isn't it? So it's... Uh, <laughs> but I have, like, that. no, it turns out it's fear of the outdoors, which was fine by me, because I don't like going out anyway. So... <laughs> I was so grateful, because I was like, of all the things you could have told me I've got wrong with me, that's playing to my strengths. And <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I was like, this is brilliant. I'm going to be the most mentally healthy person you've ever seen pretty soon. Like, I, this is fine. I'm like, this is going to be really good. I'm going to be like the best. I'm going to have completed mental health. That, like, <laughs> fucking wonderful stuff. And, but it, that, like, it's backfired because I'm scared of spiders now as well. And... <laughs> it's awful. Do you know the worst thing about it as well, right? The worst thing about that is that I can't even take them outside anymore. <laughs> and... So now I've just got a house full of them under little glasses. It's... Yeah, it's like the world's shittest zoo. It really is. It's like... <laughs> but 
Boy, it's been quite, I've had, so as a result of that, I've had the two best years of my life at the one time it's been socially unacceptable. It's <laughs> been really awkward. And partly it's because like at home, it's just been me and my girlfriend, obviously. Um, I've done this long enough to know, even without this t-shirt, that that is never a surprise to an audience. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like ever. Like, There's never in 20 years anyone's like, that lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> I know, always the last ones you expect, isn't it? <laughs> I, I look like this on purpose. It's, I like it and I'm doing very well on it. I, uh, it's been fucking great. This year for my New Year's resolution, I decided to, to add stay at home and eat as much as I possibly can because... <laughs> Because honestly, that's what I did the last two years and I didn't even plan to, so fuck it this year. I'm like, yeah, let's just go for it. Let's see how big I can get. Uh, it's gonna be great fun. These were baggy when I bought them. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed myself. It's been fantastic. So, uh, but yeah, at home, it's been me and my girlfriend and, uh, and, and yeah, she's lovely. We've, we've been together for about nine years now, which is, I know, which is, yeah. It's like 75 years in heterosexual. And very, very long time. It's a very long time. We've been together such a long, when we first met was, uh, well, cause I had a spare room in my house and cause I live in the North and uh, <laughs> I am so sorry about that. That is not my fault. I, uh, I did live in London and I hated it for, and I moved back up North and went, uh, I hate this as well. Um, <laughs> so the daily pain of being alive is awful. And, um, <laughs> I was like, fuck it, no, I'll move out. And I've moved, weirdly, I've moved back to, the, to a little village just outside the town that I grew up in, which is one of the strangest things to do as an adult. Because all of those things I was terrified about now, I'm just like, I don't give a shit, what's the worst you can do to me? <laughs> I've lived next door to an Airbnb. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I was a bit worried about was when I got to my village that I live in now, and I realized that even though there's only about 300 people in the village that I live in, we have two pie shops. And that's a sign that your village is incredibly white. And I was like, <laughs> we, we can manage to support two pie shops, can we? Fuck me, this is, ah. Oh. All of our local like Asian food places all have like slurs in their names. This is fucking horrible. This is, <laughs> this is fucking terrifying. This is, are they gonna, and I went into one of the pie shops and on the board behind the, behind the desk, they had a list of all of the different things that they had. And one of them said, a jalapeno and cheese pasty. And I went, oh, I'll have that. So I can have a jalapeno and cheese pasty, please. And the woman said, oh no, sorry, we don't sell those at this branch. They're too spicy for everyone around here. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh fuck, this is gonna be, awful. but it turns out, no, it's not, it was really nice, really, like weirdly, it's because like in the next village over, there is so much fucking great food that in our village, everyone's like, ah, fuck it, we'll go over there. And, <laughs> It's really, it's far more ethnically diverse and far more like gender diverse than I ever fucking expected. And it's wonderful, I really, and so going back to me, like my hometown is great, but also weirdly in my hometown, there's like four different places that have my fucking photograph on the wall <laughs> as local celebrity, right? Cause I was in Doctor Who, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, that's the theme tune. And, <laughs> Keep applauding, I'm gonna try and get me a drink. 
Honestly, like any of these places, if I went in there, none of them would recognize me. It's fucking wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's been quite nice. It's like I've I've got quite a good luck. Because like when we first met, me and my partner, it was like I said, I had a spare room in the house. And uh, again, apologies for that. I got distracted and started talking about shit that's not even comedy. Um, I love doing that. I love this job now. Now that I don't really have to give a shit anymore, it's fucking wonderful. Because I don't... Because what it means is that I can just get up here and start talking, and if I approach comedy at some point, uh, everyone has a good time. And <laughs> but if I don't, I don't really care. It's great. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we like we, the way that we met. I had a spare room, and I was looking for a flatmate because I thought that's a good way to meet people if you don't go out. <laughs> not to <laughs> like not to date my flatmate, but like in case my flatmate had any friends, right? And it turned out that no, I did date my flatmate. Um, <laughs> can't see any downside to that. I've done it twice and it's worked out perfectly both times. <sighs> but with her, it was fantastic. Cause like, it, was, it was back at the point when, because if you don't leave, it's difficult. Because like, obviously, you know, until they invented dating apps, there was no real, like nine years ago, there wasn't, there was like Grindr, the one that, you know, for gay men, there was Tinder, the one that everyone still uses. There wasn't a good one for lesbians at the time. I think that's because the name Flickr was already taken. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Be, right, was like, there was one at the time, right? And, and honestly, honest to God, like it's not even in the app store anymore. This is how shit it was. It was called Brenda. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not Blender, because that's the art app that you can go and do drawing with. No, Brenda. <laughs> Fucking Bre Who in the last 50 years has gone for Brenda? Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Brenda's your grand. That's not what you want to think of <laughs> on a dating app. And, uh, you know, yeah, right, it's, I know I'm very funny. I, uh, <laughs> I like them because they got like the same, uh, the, the thing that, because I'm a proper nerd, obviously. And one of the things I loved about them is that they use the same GPS technology as takeaway apps. <laughs> you know, like delivery, you've got to be careful because you can end up using them in the same way, you know, on a Tuesday evening. Finished work and you sat at home hating yourself and you go, I promised myself I wouldn't, but I just fancy eating out tonight. <laughs> Wonder if there's anything good local. Let's have a look. Who <laughs> oh, can be here in half an hour? I'll have two. That's nice. I um. Sorry, the reason I'm losing that, I tried to say that on stage at the comedy store. Like, there's one guy at the front who just did not like anything that I had to say at all. <laughs> who was just steadfastly trying not to laugh. Like tonight at the comedy store, there was one guy on, and honestly, I hope that he's done well because I would hate everyone to go away thinking that male comedians are shit. Um, <laughs> I know I shouldn't slag off my employer that has just employed me, but none of them are here, so. Uh, <laughs> One of the things I found really great about that is there are more women on at the comedy store this weekend than there were in the whole of 2003. Um, <laughs> like genuinely, until about three years ago, it was the only comedy club that I'd ever been to where there had been more lines of cocaine on the toilet seat than women's asses, And it was, 
in the group. Like genuinely, is it very much like it's because? But it's quite nice to to sort of go there. It's a lovely gig to go and to be able to do, and it's it's wonderful to be able to like get up and do this sort of stuff and talk to people. And 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 I get so distracted when I'm on stage, partly because of the ADHD. Uh, which yes, all right. <sighs> it's fucking wonderful when you find out that's what it is, isn't it? And you're like, oh, thank God. I like genuinely thought it was because of all the drugs I used to do when I was. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've broken my brain. That's why I can't get to the end of a sentence before my brain disappears off. And so, fuck, it wasn't. I don't, like, I don't, like, most of my 20s were spent after work on a Saturday night in my own kitchen taking ecstasy and uh, dancing to my extractor fan. <laughs> Occasionally setting the smoke alarm off so a beat would drop. <laughs> Fucking love this. What's this? Burnt toast. Thank fuck for that. Um, <laughs> love them. I uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Like I, genuinely, though, I've, I've been clean and sober for about sixteen years now, and <laughs> it's lovely because some of you have really sort of uh, gone into that, and some of you are still like being incredibly British about that. Uh, <laughs> which I love because I did some gigs in Boston about four years ago and it was great because it's like 12 years sober and, and I mentioned that and I had no idea. I completely forgot that they would react differently and went to sort of go into my next sentence. When, yeah, so I've uh, not had any um, alcohol or drugs for about, uh, for about 12 years now and just the wave of sound that came as they were up on their fucking chair. Like, oh yeah, go you, one day at a time, motherfucker. It was... <laughs> Like what? It was. I know it's nice, but I was like, this is so strange to me. Because like, when you say that in the UK, you just get like 200 people sat there with your arms folded, <laughs> just, <laughs> just staring judgmentally. That's 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 the British response to that. Just a room full of people going 16 years. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> You'd better be on antibiotics. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's like literally the only excuse you're ever allowed to give. I can't, I'm on antibiotics. Ah, fuck it, I'll have half. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, that used to be the only excuse you're allowed to give. You can't anymore. You can't even get away with that one anymore. That's another thing the internet has stolen from us. You can't do that anymore. You can't like you can't go. Oh, you know, I can't. Uh, I want antibiotics because you can guarantee if you're out with a group of your friends, one of your friends will go. Which ones? Because <laughs> there are ones that will get you fucked up, and there are ones that just won't work. And if you want the ones that will get you fucked up, you're drinking. <laughs> Sorry, I once felt like I had no idea I had a drug problem. Like genuinely, it, it snuck up on me. Is what, I, and it shouldn't have done. It should have been obvious. I once found myself at three o'clock in the morning when I lived in Manchester City Centre, walking up to a 24-hour garage carrying a frozen chicken. <laughs> like, genuinely, because in my head I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to need some kind of backstory to buy tin foil. <laughs> well, that's just. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I'll tell you, it was like a time like another time, right? It should have again been obvious to me. Once turned up at the 24 hour Tesco at four o'clock in the morning carrying uh, carrying a mug of tea, because I was like, 
oh, it's fine. I need to go down to Tesla. I need to get some stuff. Let's go. Oh, I can't leave my brew. I need to have my brew. I need to have my safety brew. That's what I need. Let's go to Tesco. Yeah, take the safety brew. There with my little blanket wrapped around my shoulders with my one friend who was like totally sober at the time. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you a lift down there. As we're walking in, the security guard went, whoa, 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 whoa. What have you got in the mug? I was like, oh, it's tea. Oh, so this. Where are you going? Where the fuck do you think? Biscuit aisle. <laughs> Should be perfectly fucking obvious. Like, uh... <laughs> oh, I forgot about that story. Was such like, that happened such like, oh God, that was ridiculous. That was a night that we got so, what we thought was ecstasy and it turned out it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it went horrifically wrong. Like, I was like, it was after we, only after I'd gone and taken like two or three of them that I realized it was probably acid and was like, oh. right? Because <laughs> that's exactly what I fucking need with my brain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll make everything better. I absolutely didn't. I, uh, oh, genuinely just, oh. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm just trying to think what I could tell you because, like, honestly, there's stuff that I can't get away with in a lot of clubs that I'm just like, yeah, I'll do that here. This is really fun. <laughs> I'll do it. I shall do some of this stuff here. I'll talk about how, uh, yeah, so, right. Oh, I was gonna, right, we had, uh, we had an issue at our house. Uh, right, because... <sighs> Right. <laughs> I'll talk about a few little things because it's it was quite like I uh, me and my partner like we've been together for ages and and uh, and she's great she's Swedish and uh, she used to be a nurse she's not anymore but the thing when you tell people that your partner's a Swedish nurse is they always go <laughs> 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 oh god I bet that's like living in a porno and um, <laughs> I mean it is but like, you don't want to. <laughs> I thought there might be a language barrier. I have seen enough porn to get by, it turns out. I, um... <laughs> I shouldn't even be here. I'm supposed to be back at home fixing the washing machine. I, um... <laughs> well, we'd... <laughs> but there's an interesting thing, right? Because obviously, like, I like to talk about privilege and stuff like that. And normally I don't mention that I'm talking about privilege. And also, I don't like using the term privilege because, like, whenever you say, oh, privilege, everyone thinks that you're immediately going, you, you're Jeremy fucking Clarkson. That's who you are, right? <laughs> the second you say something, I prefer advantages because that's a word, that that's a way of phrasing it that make people go, oh, no. Yeah. Because you go, oh, no, you've got, you know, you've privileged. And they go, I'm fucking not. I, I am fucking not. My, my parents couldn't afford uh, to put the heating on every day. Yeah, I'm not privileged at all. And you're like, that's not what that fucking means. It's not an accusation. Calm your titties, right? Come on. I much prefer advantages because you go, oh, yeah, because you had a bit of an advantage in that. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Because that seems to be a little bit less loaded and right talking about shit like that. Because there are certain things that you experience that I'll experience that you won't. And the thing is about these is that when you have advantages, there are certain things that I, advan that I have an advantage over, like straight people with. For example, one of the funniest things that you can do of an afternoon, if you're a woman, and you've got a partner who's a woman, is, or even if you're not, even if you, you know, you don't, even if you're just a woman and you don't want a partner who's a woman, you can go and pretend that you've got a partner who's a woman and go off and pretend to buy a car. <laughs> and that's one of the most fun afternoons you will ever have. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend bought a car two years ago, right? And it took the guy two hours to figure out which one of us to ignore. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. 
about 20 minutes in, he went, each sort of like took one look at me and went, that haircut looks like you've told your hairdresser you're a lesbian and then she stopped listening. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about the engine. I was like, I have no fucking clue about this. You better talk to my girlfriend. She's the one. And she's like, yeah, well, I'll talk about that. And uh, when we've got this, we'll take it off and get like a naked lady airbrushed on the bonnet. And I was like, fucking brilliant idea. But <laughs> fucking awesome. We still haven't, but I still think we should. Anyway, right, and the reason I talk about that is because like we had uh, we'd had an issue at our house, right? Because it's not the whole sort of like because people have that perception about gender roles, especially and and outside of that. Also, I'm trans as well, so it's like which confuses a lot of people when I talk about that. Like how lesbian and trans? How does that even? I'm like, oh fuck's sake! I can't. I get bored of explaining it to people, so I just tell them that like I just really hate cock, and <laughs> and I've shown more of a commitment to hating cock than any fucking. <laughs> than any turf has ever done, right? And <laughs> I'll never forget when I took, came out to my mum as well about being trans, because she just sort of stared at me for a minute and went, we've just had a conservatory built. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? That was, a, that was the exact look that I had. I was like, just the same confused the fuck, like genuinely. And I was like, why, what is, why is it? And she, I told people about this, like on stage, uh, I did a show called Beth Becomes Her, which is the best title for a show. Um, <laughs> isn't it, right? <laughs> I should call all of my shows that, basically. And I, and I talked about that, and my mum saw it, and she went, oh, you made me look stupid when you said that, because like, I didn't mean it like that. What I meant was, I was like, well, I had no idea what it was you meant. You just said that as if I was supposed to understand. My mum's recently, at the age of 72, discovered that she's also autistic, which is... <laughs> Fucking what? She phoned me up and she went, I'm autistic. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I went, Where do you think I get it from? <laughs> and she went, your dad? And I said, no, no. No, no, he's ADHD. That's where I get that from. No, 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 no. No, she said, I've been listening to a radio program and they had an older woman on who was diagnosed autistic at the age of 70 and it was basically my story. And I went, yeah, that's, oh great, I'm really glad to hear that. She said, yeah. So I've just wanted to phone you up to say, why didn't you tell me off for being too strict when you were a teenager? <laughs> I said, can you imagine how that would have gone, mum? <laughs> like, honestly, you'd have drowned me in a bucket is what would have happened. Like, that's not like genuinely. Anyway, so like, but so we like she told me this. She said, "Oh, well, we just had a conservatory," and I had no idea what she meant by that. Um, and then after I'd done the show, she said, "You made me look really silly when you said that." Because like, what I was meaning was that like the only thing that I knew about trans people was what I'd seen in the press and on TV, and that I thought that everyone would hate you. And if I'd have known that we were going to have to move, I wouldn't have spent all that money <laughs> on that. I was worried in case we would have to do that, you know? And I was like, oh, that's really, really sweet, actually. That's, <laughs> that's genuinely lovely. And like, so I love her to pieces. She's a dick sometimes, but I love her to... <laughs> like, look, she's very much a product of her, of her generation. But also, like, that, that, this is genuinely true. Two days ago, I was talking to my mum, and well, she'd been over to see her mum, who's 95 now. And she said, your, your grandma was uh, showing off this new coat that she's got. I said, all right. She said, yeah. I said to her, what do you need a coat for? What do you need a winter coat for? You're 95. <laughs> I was like, the fuck? She went, yeah. 
She's already got a winter coat that's going to have at least four more years on it. I don't think that's... It was really silly of her. She shouldn't have spent that money. I was like, the fuck is wrong with that? Wow! I love my mum to pieces. Like I say, she's an arsehole. I, uh, like, genuinely, like, I know where I get it from now. Like, honestly, I was on the phone to her the other day and my dad walked past, walked into the room and, like, I love him to be, like, my mum's there. She just went, why don't you smile? You should smile more. You look better when you smile. I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, this is fucking... I mean, I mean, I wish that more people like my mum had said that to some of the blokes who've gone, hey, smile, might never happen. <laughs> There's a recent survey that said that men, that men tend to smile like 20%, uh, what was it, 30% less than women tend to smile. And I think that's because people rarely remind them to. <laughs> I think that's... I think that's kind of what we should do. I... Uh, <laughs> So what was I talking about? Right, yeah, so we'd had, right, so the, the whole gender role thing, right? So we'd, we'd had uh, a guy coming around to our house, and I'll finish, finish up with this. A guy coming around to our house to, uh, uh, was doing some damp proofing is what he's doing. Some, you know, yeah, sound all right, lesbian house, big job. <laughs> you, um... I mean, I was all for just chucking a sandbag by the front door and going, that'll do, but no. <laughs> Got to get it done properly. Anyway, anyway, he came round to have a look and I showed him around. We had a look around and it was my job to show him around to show where all the issue was. And when he left, my girlfriend went, you laughed at everything he said. <laughs> I did not. So did you, you did, I heard you. She said, you fancy him, don't you? I'm like, I do. I do a bit, yeah. <laughs> and she said, me too. I don't know what it is. I'm like, I was like, no, me either. What the f what is it? What was it about? We had no idea. When he came around to do the job, we followed him around a bit. Not, <laughs> not in a creepy way. It wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't like we had the cellar door open. Like, Fucking get in there. Right, we've got him. I'm like, none of that. We just hung out with him whilst he was there. And it was this thing, like, he wasn't, like, super attractive. So there was nothing, like, particularly that immediately sort of sprung out about him. We couldn't figure out. When he left, we went, had a little chat. We realized what it was. He assumed that we understood and had the same level of knowledge as him and waited until we'd finished talking. <laughs> that was literally all it was. Right? <laughs> We've grown up, both of us, thinking that we're lesbians and turns out bisexual. <laughs> turns out that's how low our bar is and he's the only person who's ever managed to get across it, so. So, <laughs> I was thinking about this in relation to incels. Who, uh, if, you're not, uh, if you're not aware what an incel is, uh, it's a portmanteau word, which means involuntarily celibate, which I honestly don't believe they are, because I have this personality and I don't leave the house and I've got a partner. And... <laughs> I like, honestly, I reckon about 99% of them could possibly find someone if they did exactly what that guy did when he came around to go and fix our house. You know, or, you know, at least didn't interrupt to talk about Japanese cartoons. <laughs> so. I know, I know that they're called anime, but when I say Japanese cartoons, they get dead angry. Um, <laughs> wonderful stuff. 
I've got distracted now. I was like, oh, this is leading up to a really good joke that I don't normally get to do, and I can't remember which fucking joke it is now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, that was it, right? Yeah, because, like, my partner, we, like I said, we've been together. I love her very, very much. And, like, I wouldn't go so far as to call her the one. Um, no, just because I don't believe in the one. I think that it's nonsense, from a statistical perspective, at least. Do you know what I mean? If there's one person in this whole world that's perfect for you, oh, this one soulmate, the one person in the whole world who is suitable to date you. It doesn't, doesn't ring true to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, just statistically. Everyone I've ever met who goes, oh, no, they're the one, they're my soulmate. It's like, it's really lucky you grew up in the same town, isn't it? <laughs> it's wonderful that you're both around about the same level of attractiveness. And the same age, that's fucking great. Like, just on a statistic, that's ridiculous, which is why I much prefer the term one in a million, right? I'm, yeah, my partner is one in a million. Insofar as there are probably 77 other people I'd be just as happy with in the UK. <laughs> but you know, I don't leave the house very often, so <laughs> what are my odds of meeting them? Uh, I'll stick with what I've got. Listen, I'm going to go and just, just to say, you've been a lovely audience and <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be here. I've been Bethany Black. Take care. at Bethany Black. That was an amazing set. That was really loads and loads of fun. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good. How are you today, Good. James? Good, I'm very well. I'm superb and excellent. Um, yeah, so um, I, firstly, like, I mean, you mentioned um, like having long COVID right at the beginning of that set. Like, How are you yes. doing now? Are you all right? I think I think we all want to know and just check um, in and make sure you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing better. It's taken a while. I, like, I still have the brain fog, which yeah. I, I have ADHD, so I have brain fog anyway because that's essentially what it is but it's like it's noticeably worse um uh, but yeah it's uh, yeah i've tried to avoid it as much as possible i think i've managed to have uh, since since we recorded that and now i to, to hate to break the uh, illusion um in case they think not, not the illusion just, Beth. we bloody love the that. illusion it's a very people love the illusion they're illusion. just doing this just as i've come off stage um <laughs> Well, in in the uh, well, we froze time as I came off stage, and I went about yeah. my life for a bit, and then we've unfrozen it now. But I managed to get COVID again since then, oh, <laughs> twice no. now. And like, I was like, oh god, hopefully it'll be like you know, uh, two negatives creating yeah. a positive, so it'll cure me of it. It doesn't <laughs> seem to have done. Um, now it just means I've got a bit of uh, head fog, and my lungs are a little bit worse. But yeah, no, like. Yeah, I've, I've, I had ten years of ME, so I know how to deal with it now. So wow, slowly so like, better. Yeah, a veteran at the chronic fatigue. Yes, chronic yeah. illness and chronic. Yeah, yeah, and it's exactly the same as in my experience so far. Yeah. Um, however, I've now reached the point where I'm able to actually start exercising properly for the first time in my life. So that's been great fun. <laughs> Um, I, I'd love to endorse that enthusiastically and say great but I have a very ambivalent relationship with exercise as I think most comedians do because very oh, few yeah. of us get into comedy because we were good at PE at school oh, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> but exercise is a thing that you're like on board with and having fun with yeah I've now decided well because I was dead skinny when I first started I was uh -huh. very underweight when I first started and, I, and I've been 
and then over the last 10 years i've i've put on an awful lot of weight and and uh, and i've enjoyed being fat it's been great i really enjoy it it's wonderful <laughs> uh, it means i don't have to move out of the way when people are walking towards me on the street or anything uh-huh. it's great um and i've really enjoyed it cuz you know i'm not hungry and and yeah angry at people all the time uh, and then I thought you know what finally I was born with a little hernia which I had surgery on a couple of months ago and suddenly I've got all this core strength and I'm able to exercise and I'm like oh my oh, god wow. this is this is amazing so I've decided I'm going to try and get swole that's what I'm going to do now <laughs> go for the go for the full set of body types that it's possible to have <laughs> yeah yeah that's a very strong completionist instinct you've got there um yes. like unlock the achievement of all of yeah the that's the autism available. for you yeah <laughs> So, um, so how are you feeling like coming into QL? Like, how how did you find the audience? So yeah, and going into Quantum Leopard so lovely because it's such a welcoming environment, and it's such an environment where, um, like, going into that, like, uh, it's my people, and it's it's the sort of gig where I can get, like, because obviously beforehand you want to make sure that people, if you people are going to be saying anything that's going to be triggering to people or things that are content warnings and stuff like that, you need to make sure that those are there because you, you're wanting to make sure that it's a welcoming environment for people mm-hmm. to come in and, and sit in. And I think that's great. And the, the only downside to that to me as a comedian is that I go, yeah, no, everything's fine. And then I get up on stage and I suddenly go, oh, you're my people. I can talk about whatever I want. Oh, shit. No, actually, I probably shouldn't have started talking about that. <laughs> That's... You've been burdened with freedom, yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's like, yeah, it's it. It's the opposite of of what the detractors seem to think it is. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. Thing? So we, we we don't do sort of content warning specifically. But we've got the sort of general no kicking down policy. Yeah. But I think yeah, yeah. Like people have got a sort of very wide latitude to talk about like um things that are kind of like within their own experience. Um, yeah, and it's very much like this is your story to tell, even if it's yeah. like utterly harrowing. Please go ahead. You know what I mean? So it's right. like. There will be like lots of dark stuff going on, but the material is always going to be handled with respect and like from a first yeah. person perspective kind of thing. Yeah, and that's, that's it. And that's, that's what I try to do. But I'm also like, because it's like going into that and and being very excited to be able to do that at a gig. Because like whenever I get talking to any of those edgelord comedians who have got upset about the fact that they're not allowed to use slurs on the stage it's like you, it's not that you're not allowed but people are going to call you out for it yeah do you know what i mean you can say whatever you want on stage and people are going to go oh yeah and and then promoters are going to go actually i'm not going to book you because of that you go oh why yeah, are you yeah why are you damaging my freedom of speech and like talking about stuff like that and i remember chatting and i'm not going to mention the comedian because you know it, it, off the back of this we ended up having a really interesting conversation but the key point of it was me saying to them when they were upset about this sort of thing saying do you know the reason why i don't really talk about being trans on stage it's because i've got to walk to my car after the gig Mm. and in a lot of venues if i talk about that there is a chance that i will either get shouted out or like heckled to the point that i can't carry on on stage or people standing up and like properly until bouncers chuck them out or that people could be waiting for me afterwards. It becomes an actual safety thing yeah, yeah, yeah. that I have to self-censor. And they were like, yeah, but you shouldn't have to. I was like, I know I shouldn't have to, but I kind of do. And part of the reason I kind of do is because people who do what you do, do what you do and go, well, we can talk about yeah. anything. Yeah, you can, yeah. but, you know, should you? Uh, yeah. You know, freedom of speech is amazing, but sometimes shutting the fuck up is just perfect. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. I mean, that is that is the moral of Jurassic Park and mm-hmm. that anecdote. Like, I think that's right. ties it together. And 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 again, like to just um, 
because this is in my head, this is like, I think this is a really, really important thing within that, is that most of these comedians who are doing this, they, they, that's not the comedian that they want to be. Mm, okay. That's not who they saw themselves being when they were growing up. That's not the comedians that they looked to and they went, I, any comedian who goes into this, who's like a full on comedy nerd, um, he sort of grew up in the era that I did, is probably a big fan of people like Kinison and Bill Hicks and Mike Wilmot and so on, who were people who were genuinely at when they were doing this stuff. And Mike, I absolutely adore, and I gig with Mike loads, and he's wonderful, really good friend of mine. And people who, there's a lot of that sort of group of people who want to be like comedians like those, but haven't quite got it. They wouldn't have, when they did the bits that they did that were horrific in that way, it wasn't like, I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that often when we're trying to push boundaries, with what we're doing. We wanting to get to the purity of our art and sometimes the sorts of things that people are going, I should be allowed to say this on stage. That's not pushing their art. That's what's stopping them from achieving it. Mm, mm, that's the thing that's mm. stopping them from becoming the comedian that they want to be. Um, and that, but I should be allowed to say anything. You are allowed to say anything. And when people go, uh, no, that's just them saying, I'm not happy with this. And, and you get the choice then. You then have a choice to either go, oh shit, yeah, no, I probably should think about that and not do it, or to go, I'm right, you're wrong, stop telling me off. <laughs> and um, I think the, the the latter of those is uh, is is <laughs> isn't helpful to you as an yeah, artist. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right there, and I think it's uh, really important to draw the distinction between people saying that they want freedom of speech and what saying what they actually mean, which is what they want is freedom from criticism. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, there are a reasonable number of acts that like hide behind that as a shield and in a way that stops them from developing themselves and developing their ideas further. I, I think we're all aware of comedians who started off being interesting, but have like since gone down that rabbit hole and it becomes self-reinforcing and it's much harder to um, enjoy their stuff than yeah, it used it to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, your opening segment about um, being a, a lovely audience. So that's I, I really like that bit. It's very cleverly structured. It, it means that like a very, very simple thing right at the end of your set becomes a callback. And it's just I, I really, really enjoy that. I think it's exceptionally well done. And it like it brings the audience into your confidence. It shows them behind the curtain and under the bonnet at the same time. And it's like, why have you parked your car behind a curtain? But um, yeah. so, I, I, uh, so I really, really like that bit. So, um, uh, you know, without wishing to make Quantum Leopard seem less special, like, do you say that about, do you say that to all the audiences? Uh, or is it just something you trot out from time to time? It changes. Okay. It, I do say it, a version of it to all audiences, but it changes depending on whether or not I'm telling the truth. <laughs> okay, so which bits kind of get swapped in and out? True. Like... Um, well, the other thing is, because of the way that I write, I write on stage, so over time things mm -hmm. adapt and change. Anyway, I saw a version of it uh, pop up on my Facebook memories from about three years ago that was just like a single line yeah. that is now a five-minute opening bit. Yeah. Um, so it does change over time. But, um, yeah, it's a thing of... Uh, sometimes I just won't say sometimes i won't say uh, uh it's nice to like what i go on stage and i say hello lovely you know uh, sometimes i'd go on stage and go lovely to be here well that's a lie 
Um, one of those lies that comedians tell. And sometimes I'll just go, uh, com- as comedians, we come on and we lie and we say it's lovely to be here. And it's not, I'll say sometimes, I'll go, it's not. I'd much mm. rather be at home. You know, I've got Netflix. I've seen a show about these kids in the 80s who get murdered by a demon from a different dimension. Nothing I've got is better than that. <laughs> yeah, it's highlighting the main competition for live comedy. Why not? Yeah, Why not? Why not sink um, the shit while you're on it? Yeah, I'm like, I'm bored of it now. I've done it for 20 years. That's the other thing that I do. And I tell them that, and I go, I've done this job for 20 years. Boring. Like, you know, like any job that you've done for this long, I thought my life would have turned out better than it has. But you know, we're here now. Let's let's enjoy it. And <laughs> depending on how much I like or dislike an audience before I've gone on. Uh, it will change and sometimes I will go it's lovely to be here and it's also lovely to be somewhere that that isn't a lie which is is how it's sort of become now Um, nice okay um, yeah so yeah so it sort of evolved over time but that's kind of how I did it and it it just came about from me going on stage and saying that and realising that I didn't mean it yeah anymore (laughs) that's a really good insight um so I, I'm not allowed to pick up on that a little bit because I think a lot of really good comedy starts off from you have one basic idea or one basic realisation about a thing and then you mm-hmm. work out from that and uh, work out, okay, well, if this is true, what are the logical consequences of this? What else yeah. can I say about this? How else can I kind of yeah. bring people on board with that? Um, and the other thing I just wanted to ask you about was just about your sort of, um, your kind of writing process because you mentioned there that you kind of, you write on stage. So yeah. when you say you write on stage, do you, do you literally, like, I mean, you obviously riff and then you kind of like, um, that again that's compiled and put back into the Beth Brain folder and then it comes back out later at other gigs but do you actually go off and write it down and revise it or is it all in the Beth it's Memory all in my box? head I've all never the... I don't I when I first started off I tried writing things down and when I and I tried writing sets by going and sitting in a cafe like with, like you're supposed to with a book like they always tell you yeah, go yeah. get yourself a book and write down all of the ideas everything you think of in there and uh, I, I had something like 15 different books with single lines in that were just <laughs> bits of ideas for jokes that never worked properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not how my brain works. For some people, it works great. Some people can yeah. go, oh, I'm just going to go and sit down. I'm going to write this. And for me, I don't work like that. I mean, when it comes to it and I need to write like a new hour or like something like that, I can go, right, okay, let's sit down and go, what do I think that is funny? And go back and have a look through a bunch of things that I've said. Um, in real life or on Twitter, uh, and which is also real life. But, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, and then I'll go, have I said this a couple of times in different ways? And if I have, then I go, right, okay, I think there's something funny in this idea. What is it that's funny in it? Right, okay, let's go and try and figure out where that would fit within what I've already got. Does that relate to anything I already say on stage? Um, and then if it does, I'll go, right, okay, well, that goes in there. And then I'll say it on stage, and if it gets a laugh, it stays. And if it doesn't, I go right. Okay, how am I not explaining that correctly? Because um, I'm a comedian, so if I think it's funny, it's funny. If the audience aren't, <laughs> if the audience aren't laughing, I've not explained it in a way that makes them find it funny. Is is what's happened? Um, Interesting. Okay. Uh, so I go away and like have a think about it. But mostly what happens is I go, oh, this is funny. And because I'm already in that zone and I've got the rhythm going and I know how to intone because I'm chucking it into the middle of something. Yeah. Um, I can often just go, right, okay, and then manage to get it to win through force of personality rather than necessarily whether or not it's good writing. And then, and then it's a case of tinkering with it until it works. And 
But in the tinkering process, I will often go, oh, here's something else that relates to that. And another thing that relates yeah, to that. Yeah. And another thing. So I can, so what tends to, I always <laughs> describe it as like, it's a bit like sourdough. Okay. In that I go and like take a single line that I've got and I put it into this, into this old bit that I've got and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I get rid of the old bit and now I've got this new bit that's this, this new joke that started. Mm-hmm, and then I go, mm-hmm. oh, and I've come up with another line that I think is funnier than anything that's in that bit. And I'll chuck it in and see what happens. And then that grows into a into a five minute bit and then I can get rid of that previous bit. Nice, nice. What that's happened. interesting. But sometimes stories will happen pretty much uh, out there when I leave the house and find myself in the world all in one go. Like... Um, for example, there's a story that I did in one of my Edinburgh shows about going to a hotel and finding that there was spunk on a pillow. And I've seen that bit. That is a, yeah, and... that's a really grim story. <laughs> it's a really grim story. And if you want to go on to uh, TripAdvisor and have a look at the reviews for the Penta Hotel in Birmingham, the entire thing is written down there. That's one of the only times I've ever written down the entirety of my material. And and the best thing about it is uh, you can't say spunk on TripAdvisor, so I've had to say <laughs> semen all the way through, which somehow makes it worse. It gives it an air of formality that I think is yeah. is unwarranted by the situation. It's like, I, I, are you Mr. Spunk? No, but Mr. Spunk, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm Mr. Seaman, I'm his father. That, yeah, I, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's a generational difference, perhaps. I have a formula for whether or not a joke will that I've tried on Twitter will work in real life. Oh, it, okay. Interesting. If if it gets more than 30 retweets, it will not work on stage for me. Interesting. Okay. Ideal thing that I will do as a tweet that will then work on stage gets an average of about... If it gets like five retweets and 20 favourites, that is one that I will be able to get a round of applause off on stage. Mm. Any more than that doesn't work with my character on stage. Okay. I unpack that. This is this is really interesting. Like you've um you, you some of your material is too populist and therefore won't work with the version with of who I am. Stage. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so suddenly it's like, oh right, okay, because it it then either becomes a thing where I'm, uh, where I'm winning. Yeah. Okay. I need to I need to not be great. <laughs> like I I can do I can win in very small doses on stage. Yeah, and I can take high status for a very small arc of a story, and it yeah, has to yeah, be yeah. about really specific things. Yeah, where I get to do that. Um, it's one of the things I love doing when I MC because the I the audience idea of me based on what I sound like and what I look like and what I've started off talking about is that i'm not very smart and so then like a couple of weeks ago in in chester when somebody in the front row said that they worked in financial services and <laughs> i went oh what do you do and they said that they worked for uh, pwc as an accountant and i then spent five minutes explaining that they work for one of the big four accountancy firms whose main job is arbitrage uh, in enabling corporations to get around laws by deciding whether or not it's uh, financially viable mm, to do mm, so mm, mm. and did all of this stuff and explained all of this to an audience on a friday night who were drunk who had like <laughs> no idea about any of this stuff and managed to keep it funny but also suddenly went i, I know stuff I yeah, know. Yeah. and they were like the shock of of it's someone a, like me surprise, knowing this you know yeah, and yeah. saying saying to him you know yeah you say that you're a 
saying that you work for them as an accountant is a, you know, it's like Harold Shipman being introduced and saying, yes, I'm a GP. I mean, technically it's correct, but it's not really what you're known for. <laughs> you, you do talk about autism on stage um, uh, quite a bit. And I, I think it's really interesting because you, you talk about the ways in which you're kind of like, um, you know, the, the ways that stand up fits with an autistic brain. Um, yeah. And I, I'm interested to know, like, how you think it helps you as a comedian like you know what are the main ways in which you think an autistic brain is like suited for comedy obviously you list some of them but like in terms of the actual sort of structure of jokes and things like that well yeah like it's really useful for comedy for one of the most simple reasons that that i don't talk about on stage which is that comedy is about being an outsider and pointing out the things that people have yeah yeah the things that everyone takes for granted that they just haven't thought about and being autistic is means that you don't get these things that everyone else has just sort of soaked in and gone well this is this is how it is this is how things are supposed to be this is uh, you know and just going why why are you doing this this is (laughs) have you spotted what it is that you're actually doing these are the things that have built up over generations and just become traditions that you go oh right okay well i'm going to behave in this way and what are you doing why are you doing that (laughs) And so being able to recognise that is the same reason why, you know, uh, when you see comedians from different countries who come and they go, the difference between your country and my yeah, country yeah, is in absolutely. my country we do this and in your country you do this. And everyone goes, oh, that's amazing. Well done. Yes, yeah, we, are yeah, like yeah, yeah. we are like that. We are like that. Yes. We don't prepare for snow well. Yes, that's great. And, you know, and it's... Um, you know, and, and, and it's very much like that is what it yeah. is. That's how the autistic brain sort of does that. Is that it's like I can I watch the interactions that we have and the interactions that I have and I go, OK, uh, what I often do because of the way that my set works is I've done something that most people wouldn't do. And I haven't realized at the time because I'm just reacting as I react. Yeah. And then later when I think about it, I go, yeah, that possibly wasn't what I should have done. Isn't <laughs> how I, <laughs> Not even that I shouldn't have done. But yeah, most people wouldn't realise, wouldn't even think to do that in that way that I did, which just was yeah, yeah, natural. They would do it this way because they have picked up on all of these other non-verbal cues, etc. that I'm not seeing at all. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good comparison of having that of like you're 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 basically coming as an exchange student from the People's Republic of Autistica, right? And like. Yeah, yeah saying what weird traditions we have. I think it's also really nice as well. Like to me, this sort of the foundation of a lot of observational humor is pointing out things to people that they already know and that they recognize in themselves. And it's that laugh of recognition from a slight outsider's perspective. And I think that's, that sounds to me to be very similar to what you were describing there as well. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, it does. Because I always think it's like being autistic is having to learn human, uh, non-verbal human communication as a second language. Yeah, yeah is what it is it's about yeah. having to learn social skills as a second language um yeah. and so as a result of that it really does give you that outsider's perspective because when you're learning things you go we we do this and we do this uh, you know if you're doing science if you're doing chemistry you go okay well you mix this together with it like, not that you do this in chemistry but you go these things mix with these things and it goes and creates these things and you go yeah. why and you go oh well it's dead easy because covalent bonding or ionic bonding and this happens yeah, to yeah. this and it forms into this structure and when you do that with social skills and you go why yeah nobody knows a lot of the time they just go no it's just <laughs> it's what we always do and they go oh well that seems ridiculous so i'm not gonna do it 
because that's the other thing that I've learned <laughs> is that from talking to a lot of other autistic people is that there's that whole thing because a lot of the stuff about autistic people has been written by uh, non-autistic people who've gone they don't seem to spot uh, social cues and they don't seem to spot social hierarchies yeah we do we don't give a fuck is the difference <laughs> ridiculous nice. so we're not going to play your stupid games yeah 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 <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean it ties it all together nicely i think so i mean it, it sounds like sort of the unifying theme a lot of that is that like you are in a distinctive position to be able to point at the emperor and point out that you know his bits are flapping in the wind um yeah. and that that ties together a lot of those things i think quite neatly um yeah moving on slightly so um yeah, I'm like I don't want to channel um, Stu Goldsmith uh, too much, but um, it does sound like you found therapy like really valuable um, on a personal and psychological level. So, um, like, how has that affected how you approach comedy? Has it affected how you approach comedy? Oh, it absolutely has. It's completely changed how I approach comedy. It's like I've done <laughs> various interviews over the years with people who have uh, for different podcasts with people who've known me since I started doing stand-up. And one of the things that often comes out is, yeah, in around about 2011, you suddenly, like, made a step up. You were always good, but you suddenly made this step up. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. happened? And I was like, I met my new partner and she started writing for me. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what happened. How, um, it, how, how true is that? Because that's... Uh... And everyone goes, ha, 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 that's hilarious. That's clearly not true. It is. Um, <laughs> A huge part of it is that she is the funniest person that I've ever met and that she Aww. thinks in jokes and that she yeah. thinks in jokes in the same way that comedians do, but yeah. she's not broken in the same way that we are and that yeah. requires yeah. us to get up on stage and have people like us for it. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. much happier to have one-on-one -on -one people liking her for it. Um, but also the fact of the matter is she's uh, she was uh, when she first came to the UK, she was going to train to be a nurse, but she didn't. She went off and did uh, she started doing an MA in psychology and then she's moved over and she's become a psychotherapist. That's what she yes. And so between her doing that and the interest that she had in that and me being autistic and my interest that I had in her, I went and did lots and lots of reading around those things mm -hmm. and and have been seeing a therapist since about 2013 on and off. Um and just learning about how the human mind works and stuff like that it's really gone and especially the stuff that i've gone through with therapy in terms of dealing with the stuff that i've dealt with like i'm finally working with a therapist where i'm actually trying to work through some of the blockage that i have with talking about being trans on stage which is like a great thing to be doing um and because we've talked for about three weeks and she went do you think we should be talking about this and i went well my mouth's gone completely dry and my heart's racing and i don't want to even think about this and i find it incredibly embarrassing that you've even asked that we should talk about this so yes we probably should now when i'm doing it it's a lot more about how i feel about what's going on so it's very yeah. much it, the internal stuff that's happening um which is why my set really doesn't translate particularly well to those uh, ones those tv shows that they go and get comedians on and they get them to do a bit of material and then they go and do like film a bit, bit of it because because yeah. uh, it's essentially it's the same thing that stephen king novels do which is deal with all of the, what's going on internally as opposed to what's going on externally um yeah and so yeah so it's it's really enabled me to look at that a lot more and because one of the first things that i ever learned in, in one of the first proper lessons i learned in comedy was to Tell the thing that you're afraid to tell your best friend to a room full of strangers. Nice. That's where the art lives. 
That's a really good tip. That's really, really yeah. good. Is that is that from someone specific or is that... Uh... That was Michael J. Dolan who told me that, uh, oh. who is a wonderful comedian who doesn't really gig anymore, who is one of my favourite people ever, who uh, uh, once turned up to a show where they thought they'd booked... Uh, during the Fringe, where they walked in and the promoter said, oh, oh God, no, sorry, I thought we had Mark Dolan. <laughs> you can go on now seen as you're here and he went right and just walked out and left and then turned his phone <laughs> off yeah I'll fucking uh, tell him yeah, um, yeah and I, I love Michael for that Dolan is one of was one of my best mates when we first started out and he's just he's so wonderful he's got a couple of live albums that you can listen to that are great there's a wonderful bit he has about going to his uncle's funeral whilst he was delirious with the flu and no one had told him that it was a family grave and the only person who'd been buried there so far was his uncle who he was named after and so <laughs> deliriously full of the flu watching his grandma's coffin being lowered into a grave with his name on it <laughs> <laughs> oh it's terrifying great he's a wonderful uh, guy yeah wonderful lovely comic, lovely yeah. um cool so um you talk about uh moving um back up north um yes. which is a bit I, so i really like this bit because it addresses um i think a lot of the preconceptions that uh particularly you know um southerners who are sort of nominally uh, liberal um have about the north you know like you know the red wall is red wall is um a a thing and b full of elderly racist homeowners and that is like the defining um property socially speaking of the area yeah. so um I, so I, i'm interested to know like do you do that bit in the north and if you do do you do it differently does it land differently do you do a different version of it how does it how does it travel I do it pretty much exactly the same thing other than going, I love being in the north. Yeah. I love being back in the north because when I, you know, when I live down south, and I tell them about what happened when I lived down south, and then I say about, you know, and then I do that bit. I do that bit exactly as it is, and I go, you know, because people think that this is what we are, and it gets, it's almost, doing it in the north is very much uh, sort of Mel Gibson at the end of Braveheart, like rallying cry (laughs) when I do it that way. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, and I it, mean, the, people forget that the North will rise again. Like that's yeah, the that's the important thing. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. North remembers. <laughs> yeah, that's really really nice. I mean, that that kind of leads me into my next question a little bit. So I was going to ask you about the bit later in the set where you were talking about um, the the conservatory uh, story and your mum yes. and the winter coat story and things like that. Um, and what you what you just described there uh, is a, a bit of kind of that's something from a personal experience um, that relates a bit to a family relationship. I mean, these bits, the conservative story, conservatory yeah. story, and the winter coat story are a lot more directly related to important people in your life, and yes. they, they appear as key characters. So, like, how do you decide where the line is in discussing those sorts of relationships on stage? Do you draw a line, like, and and how do you decide? Yeah, I do. I didn't used to at all. Mm-hmm. It just used to be whatever had happened in my life, whoever it was, I would talk about on stage. Uh, and that's one of the ways that therapy has changed it because I took me a long time to figure out what the hell was, why people were so upset with me. I was like, well, what, we talked about this and you did yeah. say that, did you not? <laughs> <laughs> why are you upset now? Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, the second half of the conservatory story comes about from my mum saying, you always tell people that and it makes me sound foolish. And, and she explained why it was that she was, uh, why, why it was that she said that. Um, and these days, more and more, I don't really do that unless it's that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, also because I know that none of my family ever come to see me. Yes. <laughs> What fair, I talk about fair. with my what I talk about with a few hundred friends in the privacy of a comedy club <laughs> um, <laughs> is between me and them, and it doesn't matter what I'm saying about you behind your back. No, um, 
no with these it often it comes down to either that or it really realistically thinking about it because i've not really thought about it but i do have a, a really strict code when it comes to that sort of stuff is uh-huh. has the person i've spoken to about it found what they've said hilarious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they found it funny and are willing to say it to other people whether or not i like because mostly i'll go is it all right if i say mention this on stage but more often than not if that's not appropriate or it's something that just comes out in the moment like the winter coat story did yeah because i had to ask you what that was because I, like, I have no idea what that was <laughs> that was literally the only time i've ever said it on stage oh, really? um, <laughs> okay interesting Interesting. right and i went oh yeah that was great and it worked and it worked really really well for this audience and i can't think of many other audiences that that would work really well for uh blizzard in manchester maybe one or two others um blizzard in manchester of course run by uh johnny collins friend of the show one of our quantum leopard competition winning uh alumni um yes just a brief brief shout out for uh johnny and blizzard yep yeah, yeah, and great comedy club, absolutely love. And another yeah, yeah, one where yeah. I went on stage and just went, got halfway through my set and went, oh, I probably shouldn't be talking about this because I've just got so excited because I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hope I don't upset anybody. Um, but yeah, it's like that was that was genuine. And it was like when I talked to my mum afterwards, she found that hilarious. But then my mum, I've often found, I will talk to her about things that are really traumatic from my childhood that she was involved in in being instrumental in the trauma of them. And she will laugh at them. And she goes, "Yeah, I did do that." <laughs> <laughs> so you know, to be fair, the suffering of children is hilarious, particularly when yeah, they're yeah. yours and you love yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the bit with uh, the damp proofing guy and the listening advice. Yes. So this is like, uh, honestly, this is really excellent, really solid advice. This is the sort of thing they should be teaching in PSHE lessons at schools. Um, and uh, I mean, it sounds fairly ridiculous, but you know, it's taken me personally just years to figure out by that sort of thing by trial and error uh, and I still get it wrong um, and um, I think you hint at that sort of thing in the sort of the incel comparison um, mm. I was just kind of wondering so like I mean given how your brain works and your experiences of like gender and socialization is this sort of attitude is that something that you've always had instinctively or something that you sort of actively learned um, everything social is something that I've actively learned mm. it's all of it. There's like there's certain things. Oh, it's an interest. It's it's a really interesting question because particularly with that bit, I don't think that I. It's one of those things that I only learned when I got sober. Okay. Is is the truth of it, and that, that's um, not the that's not the part of your experience that I would have expected to influence that that realization. So I'm I'm really yeah. interested as to why. So yeah, um, I started drinking when I was about uh, first time I I got drunk at the family party was I was about twelve years old, and then from fourteen I was pretty much drinking every day, um, not to like blackout or whatever, but you know. Yeah rarely did a day go by that i didn't drink and from the age of 18 i drank every single day until i was 27 um and a lot of that was drinking to deal with a lot of the trauma that i was experiencing and and growing up trans growing up gay growing up uh, autistic growing up with adhd all of these things all of the negative self-talk all the stuff that i've been told that made me wrong as a human being that was lazy or that i was didn't care about other people or all these other things and I just didn't, wasn't able to, like, 
um, I drank to sort of like deal with all the horrible stuff that was going on in my head. And as a result of that, you don't grow up emotionally from when you start drinking. It's really mm, interesting. Mm. When you start trying to drink in order to replace feeling emotions, when you start trying to drink in order to try and change what your emotions are, you don't fully process them. You don't work on them. You don't learn how to cope with them and you don't learn how to get past them. And so as a result of that, I was in this sort of perpetual early adolescence from the age of about 14 until I was about 27 when I got sober and suddenly had to learn all of this stuff um, as if it was brand new. And yeah, so yeah. it was through that, it was it was through that and through the stuff that I did through uh, a group that I attended that I can't tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> Who are, you know, uh, just open the phone book near the beginning, you'll find them. Um, so it's the Freemasons, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the Freemasons. Yeah, cool. uh, yeah with the funny handshakes. Uh, no, but it was... <laughs> It was through AA and I, uh, yeah, and, and doing that and working that program, um, which is interesting thing to try and do when you're an atheist, which I am. And it mm, still mm. works because you just need to re- recognize that you're not the one who's in control of everything. Yeah. Um, and it was through that that enabled me to sort of like get over a lot of my resentments that I had towards people and a lot of the self-pity that I had about things that had gone on and a lot of the, why don't people like me? Well, there's a great bunch of reasons why people don't like you most of it's down to you being drunk all the fucking time (laughs) and how horrible you are when you're drunk and how much of a sad depressed drunk you are it was getting through those it was it was moving on from that that enabled me to sort of like really start going and so it was from that getting sober and my life getting better immediately and then working on that to try and become better a better person I have spent the last 17 years trying every single day to be a better person than I was the day before. Um, Sometimes I'm better, sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. But every single day I try to not be the person I was when I drank and try to be better than that. Um, And through that, a lot of it was like learning that I really needed. It was about learning empathy. That was a big chunk of it. Because the other thing that a lot of people don't realise is you can learn empathy. You can learn emotional (laughs) intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just if you're really smart, you can confuse being smart with being happy. Mm. Or you can go, I I don't actually have to be happy. As long as I'm the cleverest person, that's fine. And uh, I don't need to learn all of these emotional things because they are irrational. Well, that's as maybe. But if you don't learn them, you will certainly not be happy. And being happy is better than being miserable and clever. It's better to be liked than to be right is a thing that I learned very later, very late in life. <laughs> and yeah, not liked yeah. by everybody. You can't be liked by everybody. No, I'm yeah. not for everybody. It's none of my none of my business what anyone else thinks of me. But at the same time, like you can learn to be a better person. And and that's what I try to do. And it was through that that I just really went, right, okay, I'm gonna learn emotional intelligence and it was from that that i got that and it was only then that i was it was only through doing that that i was then able to go and look at my own experiences from an outside perspective yeah yeah why is it that i find this really irritating yeah because on the one hand there's the whole thing about like transitioning and going from society thinking that i'm male to society thinking that i'm female and overnight losing all of that privilege suddenly overnight advantages as you frame it 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the advantages, the advantage of having people believe that you know what you're talking about just disappeared yeah. overnight. The yeah. advantage of people recognizing that I was telling a joke disappeared overnight. <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. no longer come up with something that sounded funny and slightly self-deprecating without people going, "Oh, she's just thick." Um, no matter how obvious the joke was, suddenly people didn't spot it. Um, and so all of that sort of stuff like was there and had happened and I'd experienced that because I came out and transitioned in the, in the last millennium. Um, so I'd experienced a lot of that and, you know, I'd, I'd been out and transitioned for 10 years by the time I got, by the time I got sober. So it was like suddenly uh, but it was then being able to go look at these experiences and going right okay why exactly is that so irritating what is it what is it about these interactions and it literally when it came down to it the damp proofing guy who came around who was the guy who did all of the work at the house that we used to live at it was a really lovely guy who both me and my partner got became really good friends with <laughs> he's a really nice guy and it was literally it was literally as i said that that exactly as i explained that after he left right my girlfriend was like, what is it about? It's so <laughs> and we couldn't figure it out. And literally it yeah. was just that he assumed that we had the same level of, he assumed that we understood. Like he'd yeah. go, all right, I'm going to yeah. do damp proofing. So I need to do this. And I need to do this. And I need to get this particular type of, what I need to do is take the plaster off to this bit and I need to go mix the plaster. I need to do that. And it was just like everything that he did, he talked to us as if, we were equals rather than, yeah. well, you wouldn't even know what plaster is. There's this special dust we can mix with water. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes the walls go sticky, sticky without getting dampy, dampy. Am I talking too too difficult? For you? You know. um, yeah, and just, and it was recognising that and going, yeah, that's what it is. That's literally what it is. And so it's, I think that more so it's, but more of that comes from, it was only when I got sober that I was able to start properly recognizing these things and how they work yeah 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 that's really interesting um yeah that was really really nice i think that's a nice a nice point to end on i think that was a really really interesting really nice answer um yeah you do seem like quite happy about that and happy about like where you've arrived at now oh god yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like i'm yeah life is difficult because life is difficult and it's difficult for everyone and once you recognize that it gets a lot easier um (laughs) You know, it's that whole thing. You never know what people are carrying. You never know what people are going through. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is that. And and I'm fully aware that I've had a more difficult life than most people have had. That was a big breakthrough in therapy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm happy with who I am and I'm happy with how my life's going. And I've got, I've got, I've still got ambitions. I've managed to, like, do almost all of my childhood ambitions, which very few people ever manage to do. Nice. Um. And so on days when I go like, oh, I feel like I'm a failure and I haven't done anything, my wife will just sit there and she'll go, you've played Glastonbury, you were in Doctor Who, you you were cast as in a starring role by one of your heroes, the greatest writer of his generation. He then went and named one of his characters in in another show after you and based her on you. And (laughs) you've done this, you've done... She's like, goes through like the full list of things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, but what have I done lately? ridiculous ridiculous yeah. that is disgusting so cool okay uh lovely so if people want to catch up with uh, your stuff and uh, keep up to date with your doings um where should they find you 
You can find me at uh, Twitter, which is at Bethany Black, B-E-F-F-E-R-N-I-E-B-L-A-C-K, phonetically, if you're a Cockney. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Bethany Black fan page, spelled correctly. Uh, you can catch me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash <laughs> Bethany Black, spelled correctly. Uh, you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Bethany Black, as, same as the Twitter one, because uh, somebody already had Bethany Black. Uh, and on that, I play games and build lego and build computers lovely stuff amazing so um thank you so much didn't it thank you for lovely set and thank you for lovely chat and uh, we'll see you soon thank you very much lovely to talk right. to you speak to you later yeah. all right take care bye-bye bye that was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but would like them in your eyes as well uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh, Reese Lawton who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I am Rooks on the socials that's Rooks with an E uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license which means you can share it as much as you like but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live uh, kind love and see you soon bye first joke I ever wrote when I was about four or five yeah um Sat, sat, I mentioned it in my last Edinburgh show. I sat at the breakfast yeah. table with a box of Kellogg's cornflakes in front of me, and it said, "We don't make breakfast cereals for anyone else." And I said to my mum, "That is not a good business plan." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good joke, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my mum didn't get it. <laughs>